scripture reading for today's message is from the book of Acts, chapter 15. When I get to the end of the reading, there's a line for all of you to read that will be on the screen in yellow. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostle and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles were being converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the part of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, as they told them about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ru ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. So it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write, them, write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Heidi. Um, good morning. That was a long segment of scripture, and it'll become apparent pretty soon why we read that large chunk of scripture. Um, by the way, you can ignore your, your notes in the bulletin. Um, save that as a souvenir for later. Uh, Paul is going to save that sermon for, for another time. Uh, real quick update. Uh, Paul, he just wanted to lay around for a couple days and be waited on. So he was looking into some local resorts around here, but discovered those were really expensive and thought, you know, with all this medical stuff I'm going through, I could just, you know, I've got the copay already taken care of. I might as well check into the hospital, have people bring me food. They have such big, what, big, huge TVs and great food. 
breakfast in bed, every meal in bed. Um, yeah, so, all right, not quite, not quite, not quite. Um, but Paul, uh, Paul had some fun this week, but they got all your stuff straightened out, uh, and, and you're, you're back in here. Amen, right? Yes? All right. Now, this will be no shock to you, but when I went to see Paul over at the hospital, uh, I thought I, f- I came into the party room because there was all this laughter and there's these nurses and uh, medical assistants and residents all gathered around him. And they're laughing while they're like poking him, prodding him and testing him. It was pretty funny, actually. Um, as you can imagine, um, he, he's a lot of fun. So he's even a lot of fun at the hospital. I mean, I don't know if I can say that about me, but uh, my, my theory is the reason they kept you there so long, Paul, was all the comic relief you were providing. Uh, why would they let you go home, right? Why? So... Uh, Paul does have a little bit of a low white blood count, so if you're sick, send your love from afar. Got it? Okay. Wave, smile, send emails, texts, all that good stuff. But let's pray for Paul. Um, stretch out your hands toward him. We won't put our hands on him and make him, you know, fall over with all the pressure. But here we are, yeah. Father, thanks for Paul. Um, thanks that you are continuing to work in his life. And as uh, a family, um, as his brothers and sisters, We are so grateful for him, his life. We call on um, the power of Jesus Christ, um, that by your stripes we are healed. And so we call on that healing. And we ask, Father, that you to bring uh, freedom to every area of Paul's body, that he would respond to the treatment and the chemo and the radiation and the medication, that you would guard and protect him, that you would set your angels around him to watch over him, And thank you that your hand is on him. Uh, We love him. We bless him in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So since I was the backup quarterback that got put in this weekend, uh, I thought about uh, Paul was going to end. We're going to end the Book of Acts series. And I thought, oh, you know, we'll let Paul do that. (laughs) We'll let that do that later. And Because I started thinking about this, this series we've been in on the Book of Acts. And I went all the way back to something that stuck with me back from Acts 15. And that's what Heidi just read, the big chunk right there. And I thought, let's rewind a couple chapters. I think we were in Acts 17 last week. The men were on a retreat, and we had a great guest speaker. Um, But I thought, let's rewind a couple. (laughs) I meant we had a great guest speaker here, right here. Yeah, we rewound a couple chapters. Um, What did we do? What did we do? We had fun at that men's retreat, by the way. How many of the men, did anybody recovered yet? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I, I see you. I feel you. I hear you. Uh, that was good. We had a great time. But um, as we did the Acts 17 last week, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I need to be going forward. But I just rewound to 15, and that's what Heidi read to us. Because I'm wondering how this passage we just looked at, how it helps us see ourselves individually and as Hope Covenant Church uh, in light of this larger story. So let me get this story for you here. Um, The book of Acts, if you haven't been with us, it's this story of what God was doing, Jesus was doing through the early church. And at this part of the story that we're about to pick up here, we're about halfway through the book of Acts. And remember now, when Jesus was here on earth, his followers were mostly Jews. But he himself proclaimed that the gospel would be taken to the uttermost uttermost parts of the earth. Um, Acts chapter 1, it was right there in the beginning of this book that you'll receive power, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
So the good news of Jesus is for everyone, Jews, Gentiles, insiders, outsiders. In fact, much of Jesus' earthly ministry when he was here before the book of Acts focused on the outsiders, the poor, the sinful, the uneducated, the not good enoughs. See, because God, as we saw in the passage Heidi read, God who knows the heart, loves and wants everyone to be a part of his kingdom. Everyone is invited to this party. So Jesus sends out his followers to love and serve the world around him, and this movement actually begins to explode. People begin following the way of Jesus. Lives are changed. It's amazing, and the book of Acts tells this story. Now, it ain't all unicorns and lollipops here. There's a lot of hassle going on. There's persecution from the outside. Some Christians are killed for their faith. And then within the church as well, there's arguments, there's bickering, there's racism, all kinds of craziness, okay? So it doesn't sanitize the story. But the big picture here, the kingdom of God in the big picture is advancing here in the book of Acts. People are getting set free and redeemed. Now, although Jesus way back, had told them to invite outsiders, to invite outsiders in. Although he made it clear that this is not just a Jewish thing, so far we haven't seen a lot of that happening in the book of Acts. It's mostly Jewish, not all, but mostly Jewish people who say yes to Jesus as their Messiah that they've been looking for. They haven't reached a lot of outsiders Yes. Now, pause here. There's a few examples. Um, there's the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a great story. Um, uh, this guy coming to faith. Um, th there's another non-Jew where, where Peter, who is very devout, uh, sees Cornelius in a dream. He's not a Jew. Uh, that's an amazing story there. But, but aside from here and there, the Christianity hasn't really spread too much beyond the, you know, the friendly confines of Jerusalem. It's not gotten out there so much. Um, but then chapter 14 happens, and in Antioch, a bunch of people become followers of Jesus, and they are not Jewish. Gentiles are coming to faith just like Jesus wanted, which is where we find ourselves in the story where, where Heidi read right up top there. Now, here's the issue in this chapter 15 before they call this council. Some of the existing Christians were telling these new believers, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, hey, if you really want to be one of us, if you outsiders want to be on the inside, there's some hoops that you're going to have to jump through. I mean, it's really good that you believe in Jesus and all, but eh, sorry, that's still not enough. And if you really want to belong, you're going to also have to observe the Jewish laws as well as circumcision. How come that word just hard to speak and get out of the mouth? Right circumcision, right? <sighs> and the fight, at that point, the fight was on. Now, you know, church fights, that's nothing new. And this wasn't even the first church fight ever, okay? Uh, sadly, um, and even more sadly, most of the time, church fights are over stupid things, right? Stuff that's embarrassing, petty, small. Uh, Richard Rohr calls it the, the smells and the bells. That's what people fight over. You know, people fight over stuff like the color of the carpet, over decorating, over who gets to do what or lead what. Uh, over how we're going to word things, or, or over who matters and who doesn't matter. And if people want to do it my way, then they're in. But if, if they aren't, then I'm going to say they're not committed enough, so forget them, they don't count. And it's, ugh, ugh, church, just the, whew, the bride of Christ, sometimes wonder, right? The church is the bride of Christ? Um, sometimes I think Jesus must have beer goggles. 
was a joke. Okay, should I not use that in the second service? All right, Paul's up here going, uh-oh, maybe I can finish this sermon. Um, but the bride of Christ, we're not always so, we're not always so beautiful, right? We're the very people of whom Jesus said, they will know that you are my followers by your what? Love, Love for one another. But we don't always do so well, do we? And lots of folks have been hurt by power-hungry, controlling, and manipulative leaders. I've been hurt, but... Um, Full disclosure, I've been on the other side too, where I've been the leader who has hurt other people too, uh, where in my own brokenness, uh, I've wounded others in my care, and truth be told, all pastors have. Um, here, here's a problem for me, though, is that when I got in some of those situations, I really drew back and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I was kind of horrified at what I saw happen in, in the church where we're supposed to love each other and people were getting hurt. And so I just drew way back. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to fight about anything. I'm not going to argue. In fact, I'm just not even going to lead. And for, for a while, a lot of people really liked me that way. But then, you know, as a leader, when you don't lead, then chaos kind of breaks out. And instead of stepping in to lead, I was still kind of holding back because my fear of conflict, of, of fighting, of anyone feeling hurt by decisions that I made, I, I went really passive. Um, it's my people-pleaser false self, and it was exposed big time. And, and I won't go into it, but, but um, with the help um, of a, an older pastor mentor friend, uh, I, I, I was able to figure this out a little better and step back into leading and pastoring in a healthier way, um, still not liking to fight with people. But to be honest, um, I'm too much of a people-pleaser. I like to be liked. I don't like conflict. Uh, I don't like to f argue about stupid stuff. I want everybody to get along. But, you know, God didn't put that in the pastor job description, that this is what you're supposed to cater to. <laughs> so sometimes we get to deal with that stuff anyway. And so as God is shaping my character and showing me how to follow his voice and leading, I'm having to let some of that stuff go. And, and sometimes I have to shut my mouth and not engage in a fight. Sometimes I have to go, mm, I'm just not, you know what, it's not time Okay, it's not time. We're not going to talk about that. But then sometimes we have to stand up, leaders and pastors. Sometimes you have to stand up and you have to act a little bit more like a shepherd and offer your opinion and offer guidance because there are some things. As much as I hate seeing fighting in church and don't want people to get hurt, uh, there's some things that are worth fighting for. There's really some things that are worth fighting for. And so when I look at this Acts 15 passage, I see that truth. There are some things, some things worth fighting for. Not many things, by the way. <laughs> Not as many things as we like to fight over, but there are some things. And I think I could do an entire series on this, but the problem is I'd pick out stuff that would then make you people mad, and since I'm a recovering people pleaser that's not totally healed yet, that'd be terrible. So, Acts 15 here. There are some things worth fighting for. In this passage here, it shows us at least a couple. Here's one thing worth fighting for. Verse 11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Right? So what was happening here is the Pharisees, Christian Pharisees, I might add, okay? They were followers of Jesus. They said, hey, 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 Gentiles. Hey, outsiders, you decided to become a follower of Jesus, you trusted Jesus to redeem you? Okay, okay, great, but that's not going to cut it. You also have to follow the law of Moses. Until you do that, though, forget it, you ain't one of us. And real quick, I can see Paul, the Apostle Paul, jumping up and saying, oh yeah, want to bet? Right? He's going to step into this. So this is worth fighting for, that we are saved by grace and grace alone. It's Jesus 
plus nothing. Now, that's a tough one to swallow for a lot of folks, because especially in our Western American culture, people love to say, well, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. Anyone know where that is in the Bible? <laughs> right? Now, the Bible doesn't say that. Right? But we, we just love, as, especially as Westerners, we love to you know, prefer this, this, this treadmill of self-effort. I mean, isn't that what's at the core of every world religion except for Christianity? See, only the Bible offers a radical message of unconditional grace, the gift of God that's perfect righteousness that makes us right forever before God. See, it's not Jesus plus following the rules. It's not Jesus plus a religious ritual. It's not even Jesus plus having all the right interpretations for all the stuff that Christians are supposed to know. It's not Jesus plus speaking in tongues. It's not Jesus plus Calvin or Calvinism. It's not Jesus plus Arminius and Arminianism. It's not Jesus plus being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus plus being a Republican. It's not Jesus plus being a Democrat. It's not Jesus plus going to the right church. It's not Jesus plus doing enough good deeds and being a good person. It's not even Jesus plus being baptized the right way. See, it's Jesus plus nothing. Grace and grace alone. And again, I can see Paul saying, uh, the Apostle Paul saying, you want to start adding to that? Them's fighting words. See, it's grace and grace alone. Jesus plus nothing. So that's the first thing. The second thing I noticed in here that's worth fighting for. Um, verse 8. God, who knows the heart, <laughs> showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And I see in this, that, this truth here, that God wants all people to come into his kingdom, and he doesn't discriminate between us and them. In fact, there is no us and them, not at the foot of the cross. Colossians chapter 3 says here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, this is worth fighting for, that Jesus doesn't discriminate between us and them. In fact, again, there is no us and them. Everyone belongs. Whosoever will may come. Now, not everyone wants to come, but all who want to, you can come. They can come. And they were coming here in Acts in droves. And even though it had been, you know, the book of Acts, like the early church had been around probably about 20 years already, you think they'd maybe have had a clue by 20-year point of what to do with new believers, but they don't have a clue. Not with these outsiders anyway. See, the people now coming into the church... They're not people that grew up in synagogue or, or going to the temple like the early believers in the book of Acts chapter 2. They didn't grow up in Jerusalem. Uh, if I were to give it kind of a contemporary spin, the people that were now beginning to fill up the pews of the church, they're not people who grew up in church. They didn't have the same background as we did. They didn't know the law. They, they, for us, they'd never looked at a Bible. They didn't know how to look up a verse and chapter in the Bible. They'd never read the Bible and some of them don't even have the same ideas about what it means to be reverent or respectful. Um, 
some of them, they still have messy lives and messy stories. Some of them are living immorally, and they, they just don't know. Like, they just don't know. I mean, actually, if you keep reading in the Acts 15 chapter, what we didn't get to, what happens after that is the, the church leaders in Jerusalem send this encouraging letter to the, to the Gentiles, letting them know that they do belong. But it's interesting, they clarify something in that letter that kind of that stuck out to me. It said it's important to abstain from things contaminated by idols and to abstain from fornication, the Greek word porneia, which is all sexual sin. And you kind of go, what? Like we had to tell them that? I mean, people in Jerusalem, they didn't have to be told that. I mean, it's not like the Jerusalem Christians never struggled with that or did that. But at least they knew they weren't supposed to. But these outsiders, they didn't even know it. And, and to put it quite bluntly, these new Gentile believers in some ways were a bit of an embarrassment to some of the believers back in Jerusalem. And so the response on part of the, some of the Christians here, in, in this instance, it was the Pharisee Christians. They thought, well, listen, we're going to try to control this thing. We got these Gentiles coming in. We're going to control this thing. We're going to try to have a little bit of a monitor on who really comes into the family of God. They're going to try to work real hard to correct this, you know, this grace message that Paul and Barnabas are giving this Jesus plus nothing. So in verse 1, they decide they're going to help things out. They show up to where these Gentile believers are at, and, and um, they come down and do that very thing. Now, if you were one of those Gentiles in Antioch, a non-believer, um, can you imagine, right? You're, you're a non-Jew, but you've just met Jesus. Right? You're excited your heart and life have been filled with hope and forgiveness. You've experienced this rush even of saying yes to Jesus. You're so excited about being reconciled to God. And then, oh, oh, these Christians that know what they're talking about, some Jewish Christians, they show up and they're going to teach us more about faith. And that would have been exciting at, at first. Um, but then you got the message. And it was a heavy message. The message was way different than the message you were given when you came to faith. It was a message that would sink deep into your heart in ways that would be very difficult to extricate. Um, not good enough. You don't quite yet belong. And historically, this was true as well. I mean, they would have known this historically from... From, uh, from Jerusalem itself. The people outside of Jerusalem would have known the posture that they would have received because of the way it was communicated by the people in that day. The Jews of the day would have said, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, no, you don't fit. No, you don't belong. No. In fact, in that day and in that culture back then, um, if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or vice versa, the family, instead of having a party, would have a funeral. Um, it was written in other historical Jewish books um, that some Jews went so far to say that the, the Gentiles, the outsiders, had only been created to fuel the fires of hell. It's a pretty deep message of exclusion. It's a message of rejection. It went deep and it went way back historically. And the message that you, a Gentile outsider, would have heard back in verse 1 was this. When they showed up, hey, listen, you don't fit, you don't belong, you're not welcome, you have no community, you have no access, and you do not qualify. 
This business of grace and faith and, and, and by your faith being able to come into our community and be a part of us and enter into relationship with God, that's naive. If you want to fit in, if you even want to be saved, you're going to have to jump through our hoops, embrace all of our customs, get circumcised, follow the Mosaic law and ritual, and do the dance. And until you've got that down, don't even begin to think that you belong here. See, that message had a, a heavy power summed up in words like excluded, rejected. No. No, you don't belong, not you. Does that do anything to you inside of you when you hear no, rejected, excluded, directed at you? See, the fact is this. I think every one of us in one way or another, at one time or another, have been affected by or at least heard those kinds of words directed towards us. Rejected, excluded, no. And the fact is this, that those words do have power, they do carry weight, they do touch things deep inside us, invisible places that sometimes we have no idea how to get to. And when those words sink in, they seem to hit these tender spots that are unhealed, arrows that have already maybe even hit your heart at a different time in your life. Messages that in so many ways come to us say, saying in any context now, no, you don't fit, you don't belong, you're not welcome, you have no community, you have no access, and you do not qualify. And I'm just telling you, those messages do have an impact. And they, deep inside of us, sometimes begin to grow and multiply. And when I think about these kinds of words being said that, that do have power and do carry weight, I have a question. Here's my question. What kind of power now on the other end? What kind of power, if these rejection messages are so strong, what kind of power would it take to turn a message of rejection into a message of acceptance? Like, like what kind of power would it take to, to, to turn a message of exclusion and in effect a, a, a lifelong posture of feeling excluded into a life posture of feeling included. Yeah, what kind of power would it take to turn a no, indeed a lifetime of a no posture to a yes? What kind of power would that take? Yeah. My friend uh, Dave Johnson asked it this way. He said, how big would the yes need to be in order to counter the no you've heard all your life? Because if you've heard no for any length of time, one yes might be convincing enough, okay? It might not actually be. Um, now, the yes would be true, but it's going to take a pretty big yes in order to take hold in your heart and move that other stuff out of the way, right? Which brings us back to the question. I think it's still a significant question, incredibly important in our context, in our culture today. How big would the yes have to be to undo the effect of having heard no all your life? Particularly if the no is coming from religion or from church. How big would the yes have to be? Um, how far would we need to go to undo the effect from somebody that's only heard no from the church? No, you don't fit. No, you don't belong. No, you're not included. You're not invited. You're not welcome. You're not acceptable to us. The answer is no. So how far would we need to go to convince someone who has heard nothing but no all their life? 
to convince them that God, who knows the heart, knows them. And to convince them that there is no us in them because we all stand in need of the same grace. Here's what I love, and I'll rip through this real fast here about this uh, Acts 15, how this thing went down, because it's a huge yes to the outsiders, right? First, if you, if you notice there, um, I think it's verse 6, Paul and Barnabas stand up for them, right? They're the ones that even bring this whole issue, right? And then they get to Jerusalem, um, and, and, and it'd feel good to have Paul and Barnabas stand up for you as an outsider, Right? Um, you get to Jerusalem, and the leaders then, they discuss this issue, and they're going, hey, hey, do the outsiders belong, or do they need to become just like us and follow our heritage in order to really be accepted? And then verse 8, so Paul and Barnabas, right, then Peter stands up. And Peter was a big deal, like he had a, a big voice, he had some authority as one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, and Peter says, God who knows the heart, accepted them, doesn't discriminate between us and them, there is no us and them, we are all saved by grace. That's a pretty big yes, right? That's a pretty big yes. But we ain't done yet. Verse 12, then Paul and Barnabas get up again and they add their voice to that yes. Telling everyone gathered the stories of what God is doing through all these outsiders. That's a pretty big yes to add right there. And then to the yes of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. Verse 13, James, who many say was the leader of the church, James stands up and he adds his yes. And James not only adds his yes, but then he takes words from scripture. That's a pretty big yes. Takes words from scripture, from the, the prophet Amos to add another huge yes. So we've got Peter and Paul and Barnabas and the authority of scripture through the voice of Amos in, in verse 16. And the voice of Amos actually uses the voice of the Lord, which is the biggest yes of all. And I see in this passage all these voices standing together loudly saying, yes, 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 Gentiles, outsiders, you do belong. You do matter. You are welcome here. We value you here. And so they sent that, right, in a letter to the Gentiles, to these outsiders, this huge yes, to counter that no that they'd heard all their life. Which got me thinking, how is it that we could try to do that uh, as a church today? Like, how could we add our yes, right? How can we in our day, in our culture, say yes to those outside of our walls? Yes, you are welcome here. Yes, you matter. Yes, God loves you. And yes, we love you too. Because it's a very polarized culture, isn't it? Um, there's a lot of no's out there within the, within the Christian world too. Not everyone who says or... or <laughs> has a slogan on their sign, um, imperfect people belong. Nope, no, a lot of people don't actually live that kind of stuff out as Christians. Because uh, it's way easier to have a posture of, eh, you've not been brought near. I don't care about your faith or your heart. You don't belong. You're not welcome. You're not a part of our community. You don't have access. You don't qualify. You don't have hope of being saved. You're an outsider. You're from the wrong background, the wrong neighborhood, the wrong country, the wrong language, the wrong clothing, the wrong customs, the wrong gender, the wrong color. You don't belong. The answer towards you is no. Ask anyone who's in one of those categories, and they'll tell you, you don't have to say a word for them to absorb that message. And so I wonder if to those no's, to those folks, we need to bring that yes of Peter and Paul 
and Barnabas and James and Amos and, and of the Lord. But to um, those voices, we need to add our yes as well, right? To the yes of Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James and Amos, let's add, let's add my voice, my yes. I mean, that's kind of a small yes. <laughs> we lost momentum, right? We were building, it was like Peter, Paul, and back down to Doug, okay? But even that puny voice, right? But let's add our voice as a church. Let's add our yes. We have to let people know that God is for them, that he loves them, that imperfect people find belonging and acceptance at Hope Covenant. And it's not just a slogan out on our sign. People who are not like us find love and healing and belonging and acceptance at Hope Covenant. Lives change, love acts, God moves. That's what happens here. In fact, if we believe the Bible, um, if we trust what we actually see in Scripture, we'll see that it's God who calls us to be that way. He, he calls us to have open arms to the people around us, especially the outsiders, especially those who are not like us. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the least and the lost. I mean, back in the book of Acts, right? That fight, they were fighting over something significant. They were fighting over the very life of the church and the message of the gospel of grace. That everyone is invited, that everyone is welcome, and I believe that that is worth fighting for. See, because verse 8, God showed approval to their heart, the outsiders, and he didn't ask your permission. <laughs> because God, who knows the heart, accepted them, says Peter. There is no us or them. God doesn't like Jews more than Gentiles, for God so loved the world. So God doesn't like men more than women, Baptist more than Catholic, pretty more than plain, white more than black, Christian more than Muslim. Oh, wait, wait, wait. God loves the world? Okay, you got stuttered on that one, right? He doesn't love Christian more than Muslim, um, straight more than gay. Hmm. No, he doesn't. Circumcision more than uncircumcision? Nope, because God who knows the heart can change any heart. Even mine. Even yours. See, Jesus called them and calls us to go far beyond what was familiar, what was comfortable. Far beyond Jerusalem into the uncomfortable places with uncomfortable people. I mean, Jerusalem would have been like the home base. And even if there's tension there, it's home, you feel comfortable. But God called them and us beyond and they knew it. He called them to places like Samaria and Judea, to Syria, to Antioch, where people there don't look like you or act like you. And we don't try to argue with them until they see things our way. No, no. We get to love them right where they're at. And we get to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's the one that shapes and changes and, and, and brings conviction of sin and repentance. And our job is to show the love and heart of Jesus to the world around us. So, worship team, will you come for our closing song? Our time is up. Reach in front of you. There's a chair pocket. Um, blank index card. Everybody grab an index card. Grab one. Play along. Come on. There might be a prize. There might be a free TV on the back of one of those cards. <laughs> Not in this service. Okay, next service. All right. Um, here's, here's what I want you to do. Grab a pen. Grab that. And as we... Um, Get ready to wrap up here. I want you to carry this card with you today. And what I want you to do is um, there's, there's two sides to the card. Special card with two sides, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. You got a one-sided card over there? I knew it happened. Who, who, here's the question for us as individuals, who needs to experience a yes from me? Not me, Doug, from you, right? Who needs to experience a yes from you? And the side one, I want you to think of a group of people. And this will be the tricky one for some of us. Maybe it's a group of people you have a hard time loving or connecting with or understanding. Uh, maybe a group of people you have some fear toward. Just write that on there. We're not going to make you show it to anybody. Who's a group of people? You have a hard time loving, connecting. Young people, old people. Put something on that side. And then the second side is for a name. So the first side's for a group. Second side is for a name. Um, it doesn't have to be from that particular group you wrote down. It can be your, you know, your crazy mother-in-law. I don't know. It can be. My mother-in-law is right there, and she's not crazy. So um, I want you to put a group on one side. I want you to put a name on the other side. I want you to fold that up, and I want you to carry the card with you this week as a prayer. Jesus, will you soften my heart for this group and these people? So Jesus, uh, thank you. You are good. And as we carry these cards with us this week in our pockets, in our wallets, in our purses, as we put them somewhere, we're going to see them every day. I pray that they would be an indication of a willing heart, that we would be willing as individuals to begin to find ways to say yes to people that we have a hard time loving. Um, group, an individual, thank you, God, that you are in the business of softening our hearts as well. Thank you for your amazing grace that you've extended to us. And now we ask that you would, would let us extend that grace and love to people and groups of folks outside of our comfort zone.